Rise and crime, everybody. I'm Rachel Souza. And I'm Michelle Chan. And we're back. Sorry we skipped a week. It's school has been wild. What if we make it a bi-weekly podcast? No. Okay. No, we've got this. All right. It was just a busy week. Just a blip. But now we're on reading week, so we're back. Yep. Um, Because we missed a week, I do have a special opening case instead of fact or fiction. What is it? I've decided to tell you about uh, seven Canadian prisoner escapes. Oh, fun. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you a couple stories. Let's hear them. Kind of short. Uh, and it's an article from the CBC. Thanks, CBC, for compiling this great list. They're actually really interesting. I've never looked into these before. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So the very first uh, prison escape in Canada was in 1941. So there is a German pilot named Franz von, von Wera. And he's known as the one that got away. Shout out Katy Perry. Um, <laughs> nobody actually likes Katy Perry. Anyways, uh, so he was a prisoner of war, uh, and he was on his way to a camp in January of 1941, mm-hmm. where he actually leapt off of a train near Prescott, Ontario. Wow, okay. Um, he actually made it across the U.S. border and all the way back to Germany. And then in 1957, there a uh, Britain made a film about him called The One That Got Away. Jeez, that's a... <laughs> what? That's crazy. Yes. So, also in 1941, right after Franz's escape, 28 German prisoners of war in Canada escaped from Camp X, which is near Angler, Ontario. Mm-hmm. They had been digging a 46-meter-long tunnel for the last three months. Wow. Okay. After only a week of escaping, though, two of the escapees had been killed, and the rest were all captured and brought back. Mm -hmm. But two of them got as far as Medicine Hat, Alberta, (gasps) from Ontario to Alberta in one week. That is crazy. That's weird how I know where Medicine Hat is. Uh, Yeah, now we do from this. This is the only reason I know where Medicine Hat is. I feel like I learned a lot of new places because of this. Right? Like, Canadian geography makes so much more sense. Yeah. Um... The very first person to report on this story of Camp X was uh, Scott Young, who's actually Neil Young's father, like the famous musician. What? Yeah. Weird. So that's just a fun connection. He was 23 at the time. That's wild. Okay, the next one, uh, the Boyd Gang. So they were a really, really famous uh, bank robbery gang in Toronto in 1951 and 1952. Mm -hmm. So they were locked up in Toronto's Don Jail. And they were able to escape using hacksaw blades, which one of the gang members had hidden inside their wooden foot. <laughs> okay. So it was like, you know, Trojan a, horse situation. Yeah, I was going to say it's a dark horse. Trojan horse. Trojan horse. You're thinking of Katy Perry I now. I know. I was dark just horse. Of Katy Perry. Dang it. She makes a murder. They make a murder reference in that song. They say Jeffrey Dahmer. Do they? When? Yeah. The rap part at the beginning from the rapper who I can't remember who's in that song. Damn. No, no. That's just the Katy Perry version. You're going to need the one with the rap. I don't know who raps in it. Featuring Juicy J. Sure. That makes sense. I don't know who Juicy J is. Sorry. Wait, in the beginning? I think it's the beginning. When does he rap in song? Maybe it's later in the song. Oh, here, here, here. I call her karma. She eats her heart out like Jeffrey Dahmer. See, they make a murder reference in that song. Okay. Oh, I forgot. This song's actually, it's actually good It actually slaps. (laughs) It actually slaps. As much as I dislike Katy Perry. I think Katy Perry writes really catchy songs. She does. Like, Teenage Dream. 
I love Teenage Dream. Teenage Dream's only good in the version that Blaine sings on Glee. I love- The slow version, not the fast one. Singing her songs in the car. That makes one of us. <laughs> um, okay. I don't think Dark Horse would be good in a hey, car. Dark Horse slaps. My friend Tay always wants people to play it at parties, but <laughs> it's just- <laughs> They played this every single day in grade nine, right before the, like, this song to get you to class. And see, that's why I took over. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a different school. Oh, right? You went yeah. to a different school. I know. It's not weird. I always forget about that. Oh my gosh, she's from a different school. You know what? No. I was hanging out with my friends from grade nine today, and they were like, you know, we've known each other for seven years now. And that's, I was like, that's crazy. Don't say that. That's, that's crazy. so weird. Wow. Now that I'm thinking about high school, I was destined to podcast. I did the morning announcements. <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah. I was destined. Okay, we need to keep Sorry. going on this. Sidebar. Wow, that was a huge sidebar. Yeah. That was the largest of sidebars. It was massive. Okay, so his, <laughs> his hacksaw blades were in his wooden foot. Mm-hmm. Not his, like the Trojan <laughs> horse, not like the dark horse. Shout out Katy Perry. Um, so they were able to cut the bars uh, and use the bed sheets to go down the walls, like to propel down, you know, one of it those seems situations. Like out of a movie. It does. Uh, so then... They got caught and put back uh, to, into the John jail, to which they escaped again with hacksaw blades. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ten days later, they were found once again. Anyways, so that was that one. Now we're in 1965 with Lucien Rivard. Mm-hmm. Sorry, French people. I tried my best. Uh, so Lucien Rivard uh, was arrested in Montreal on drug charges in the Bordeaux jail He was where he was held. Mm-hmm. And... He escaped with another prisoner. They scaled the wall with a garden hose uh, that they had obtained, uh, telling the jail that they were actually going to flood a skating rink. Okay. So they were like, we're going to do this good thing for the prisoners, but then they escaped with it. Uh, He was on the run for four months uh, before being (laughs) captured in Montreal. So he didn't go very far. He stayed in Montreal. Long time. Did he hide in the woods? (laughs) Maybe he did. You never know. What a weird movie. So, yes, he was captured again. So now we're in 1975 with Donald Kelly. So Donald Kelly was a murderer, and he was held in uh, a jail in North Bay, Ontario, Mm -hmm. where he was able to overpower a guard, uh, so basically beat a guard up. Mm -hmm. And then he fled on August 2nd. So then he, this was, like, a huge manhunt to find him because he is a murderer, so it's, like, you know, it's mm-hmm. not just a bank robber, whereas bank ro- yeah, of course bank robbers are bad, but this is a murderer escaped. Yeah, so it's extra bad. So there was this famous police tracking dog named Cloud Two. Cloud Two. Yeah, apparently he was famous famous. Oh, okay. Um, we love a famous dog. And Doug Cloud Two actually tracked Donald Kelly sent all the way to a cabin deep in the woods near Skeed, Ontario. Wow, this dog. Yeah, so they found him inside this cabin, and then Donald Kelly, this asshole, shot and killed Cloud 2. <gasps> no, that's the worst. You don't kill dogs. You don't dogs. kill dogs. What's so then, wrong with you? Uh, the handler of Cloud 2 shot Donald, didn't kill him, but he was put back in jail where he died. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Oh my god, I'm so sad for that dog. Yeah, that is... That dog did the most, for real. Okay, now 1999, 
Tyrone William Kahn. He was a bank robber, and he had escaped from prison three other times until he was put into Kingston Penitentiary in 1998. Mm -hmm. And in 1999, he also escaped from there. So this guy was just slippery as hell. Um, He got over the 10-meter fence by using a ladder that he made himself with a grappling hook in prison shop. Aw, Dog 2's photos in black and white. You call them Dog 2? <laughs> Cloud 2. His name is Cloud 2. Michelle googled Cloud 2 to see what he looks like. He's a cute little German shepherd. Dog 2. Dog 2? No. You know what's funny? I was Googling it. I was like, Cloud 2, and then I wrote God instead of dog. <laughs> well, that's not right. I feel like... I'm pretty sure he's a dog and not God, but... I'm pretty sure my brain isn't working right now. Okay, I need to finish this. We are so deep into this podcast, and we're not even done the small case. It's been ten minutes. Okay. Tyrone, William Kahn, bank robber. You weren't even listening to me. I know you weren't. But he made it over the ten-meter fence, and he did the old trick where he put things in his bed to look like he's sleeping there, so he got away safely. Ah, classic teenage Uh, movie. But two weeks later, he was in a standoff in Toronto with uh, police, and he ended up taking his own life in order to not go back to jail. Okay. And the final one I will talk about, which is... In fact, an ongoing prison escape. That's scary. So in 2007, in November, Omid Tavili, I think I said that wrong, but he's a criminal, so I'm not going to apologize. Ha! In your face. (laughs) Okay, anyways. So he escaped from a maximum security jail in BC because he bribed a prison guard with $50,000. What? Uh, And then the prison guard went to jail for three years for taking that bribe and letting this criminal go free. Yeah. And Tavili remains on the FBI's most wanted list. That's Because so... he was not returned to the prison. That's so wrong on so many levels. Wow. Okay. That was fun. Okay. So that was my 10 minute long intro. <laughs> okay. That's good. So we're- Shout out Katy Perry. <laughs> Preparing for the house hermit. The House Hermit? Yep, that's what it's called. Okay, So cool. this takes place in Toronto, Ontario. Well, I can see your notes, and you've written Toronto, so... So... <laughs> Are you sure that's the same place? <laughs> Look at my notes. I did not edit them. So, 1992, Ian and Nancy Blackburn lived in Toronto, but also kept a summer property half an hour away. So Ian was in real estate, and Nancy was a nurse. We love nurses. Yep. We love real estate agents. Oh, I just really love nurses. Oh, okay. I think they do the most. Anyways, sorry. And on April 7th, Ian goes to Caledon, where the house is, and he was expected to come home the same day, so it's just Ian driving there. But he doesn't return. Within hours, Nancy seems to also be missing. So it's already off So they're both missing. Yes. That's crazy. So they knew that Nancy was missing because she was supposed to call her friends later, but she never did. And this is 1992, so when you say you're going to call someone, you're going to call someone. I mean, if I was in 1992 and I said I was going to call someone, I would probably forget. Really? So then would everybody report me missing right away? I don't know. It depends. Because they never showed up to work the following days. Oh, but that's also me. (laughs) I never text back and never show up to work. Wow, you do problematic things. (laughs) We've been new. So, a family member... Actually, you wrote a family member, but okay. (laughs) A family member who also had a cottage at Caledon was concerned because they hadn't seen Ian there. And they hadn't seen Nancy either. 
and Nancy's car was in the driveway still. Of their cottage. Yeah. No, okay. no, no, no. Of oh. their Toronto home. And Ian's Sorry. was in Caledon. Okay. So he calls his son to go check on, on them in Toronto. And so when the son gets there, there's like, a p- stop reading my notes. Sorry. Sorry. I don't know why I'm doing that. I never do that. <laughs> there's piles of newspapers from like for days, right? And the son looks into the car, into Nancy's car, and he sees through the window that there's this tissue with blood on it. And then he goes back to check the trunk to see if there's like suitcases, maybe they plan for a vacation or something. He opens the trunk and it's the body of Nancy and Ian. Oh, he found his own parents? It's not his parents. Family member. Oh, wait. They're not. Oh, it wasn't their son. For some reason, I heard son, but you didn't say that. Well, I did say that. It's like a family member, but his son. Oh, family member's son. Yeah. Whoa, my mm-hmm. brain just said their son. But, oh, that's so, that's horrible. Yeah, so what a awful. horrible, horrible, horrible thing to come upon. Yeah. And they had marks around their throat. Oh, no. And Nancy was tied arms and legs together and seemed to be thrown around like a suitcase. Oh, no. So the police searched the house and everything seemed normal in the house. But inside, in the basement, they find a storage cupboard, right? And it looked like it had been robbed because it looked like there were things that were missing from it. Interesting. Yeah, but they didn't know what was missing from it. But then you don't really know if anything's missing from it. I mean, if there's, like, a dust thing. And okay, they, you know what that I'm saying, makes sense. Right? Yes. I feel like that's what it kind of looked like. Totally. And so the Toronto police called the OPP to look at their Caledon home. Some real messed up shit happens in Caledon, I will say. (laughs) At daybreak the next morning, they go into the Caledon farmhouse, and upon closer inspection, they they use, like, auxiliary lighting, and they see two small areas of staining, and the staining was actually Nancy's blood. Oh, no. And the tissue in the front seat of the car belonged to neither of the victims. Oh, yes, we've got DNA on the scene! So after compiling evidence, they pieced together a sequence of events. Ian was confronted in the farmhouse and was assaulted and bound. Then the assailant probably made Ian call Nancy to come to the farmhouse. And when she arrived, they believed that Nancy was immediately attacked and that she was killed in the cottage and Ian was forced at gunpoint to drive back to Toronto where he would be killed. And in an autopsy, Nancy died of ligature strangulation and Ian died of asphyxiation. So both horrible, horrible deaths. Horrible, horrible ways to go. And police now interview close family and friends and they were able to eliminate them immediately because they weren't sketchy. And new evidence begins to surface after a few days. They find garbage bags in nearby ditches. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird. In the garbage bag, there were like food wrappers, newspaper, and human excrement. Oh. Neatly packaged, like, oh, in the oh. newspaper. I hate it. Like, there was a turd in a plastic bag. I hate it. And there were urine in, like, juice... Juice boxes? Not boxes. Jugs. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. And then there were also, like, lists that were super, super detailed. And they were lists of, like, aircrafts from World War II in, like, someone's handwriting. Like, someone wrote, a li- like, an extensive list about the details of some aircrafts from World War II. Someone needs a bullet journal. <laughs> someone <laughs> does need a bullet journal. And in the following days, the police find that similar break-ins within the cottage country. County? Country. Cottage country. You know cottage country. Cottage country. Well, I mean, 
<clears throat> we're not fully white, so we don't really know cottage country. But... I'm not <laughs> white at all. Well, I'm not fully white. I've never yeah. been to a cottage, so. And it leads to some evidence from the break-ins. So, the writing, the food, the urine, and poop are all similar in all these cases. And the police have called this person the house hermit because he breaks into the people's houses and leaves weird stuff and is just a freaking hermit yeah and on few occasions the owners sometimes would like catch the house hermit off guard like he, they would show up unexpectedly and there was this one time march 18th 1992 the house hermit is at a home sounds like house hippos you know that commercial for house hippos no i don't watch tv Oh, it was, like, a really old one from, like, 2008, and it was, like, I think it was a mad commercial. Like, a mother's against drunk driving? Or, like, yeah, something, no, 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 it was, like, don't believe everything you see on TV commercial by the government of Ontario, something like that. And it was supposed to be a house hippo? Like, they, they brought, like, they had house hippos, like, they made it sound like a documentary, and it's like, oh, you know, it gets kids believing, like, th- these are, like, real things, but then the ad was, like, don't believe everything you read on, you see on TV. That's not a mad commercial. <laughs> I know, it wasn't a mad commercial I was thinking about. It's <laughs> just general government commercials. The mad commercial was Are the like... one with the elephant in the room. Yeah, no. Where it was like somebody was drinking and then they were like, I'm going to go drive. And then it shows all the people with a giant elephant in the room. And they're like, talk about the elephant room. Drinking driving is not okay. I got I them like, confused. That's a good one. Okay, so anyways, the house hermit is at a home and the owners arrive from Toronto and they catch him off guard. And the couple were confronted by the man, and the man had a gun. And so he forces them back into their car and demands to be driven back to their home in the city. So this is just all their people going to their cottages? Yes. Oof. So at a busy intersection, uh, Mr. Appleton, one of, you know, the Mr. and Mrs. Appleton were held hostage. He tells the man that he was not going to take him back and that they had nothing more to give and either get out of the car or shoot me here. That's what he said. So he's the one just now that they caught the house hermit off guard. Yeah, because, okay. well, the house hermit is forcing, like, at gunpoint, they're driving yes, back to Yes, I just didn't know their names, and now I know their names, yes. the Appletons. The Appletons. So this guy's a badass. He's yeah. like, get out or shoot me. Yeah, and the abductor. Wow, that's really ballsy. <laughs> and he got out of the car, and he ran away at this busy intersection. Holy crap, that's ballsy as hell so when that happened the police feared that it was the same guy and from the abduction mr and mrs appleton they found fingerprints for this dude that's great so presumably this was a white man mid to late 30s unkept hair and clothes and he had no like distinct accent so that's still a lot of the population you're telling me he didn't come in there and was like, drive me somewhere or I'm going to shit in your car. <laughs> Would you, wait, okay. If you were a criminal, what do you, you put on an accent? Oh, my accents are so trash. I can never get away with it. I know, but like, <laughs> they can't like identify you right away, you know? If you put on a, like, even if it's a bad accent, right? Yeah, except I wear the same hat every day, so I'd be identified <laughs> immediately. You can go through multiple hats. I don't know. Oh my gosh. I would, if I was a criminal, I would be like the hat hunter or something. It'd be the so hat stupid. Hunter. That's funny. Yeah, anyways. So from the crime scene, they could figure out that he was very methodical and very obsessive. Um, by late May, two months after the murder, they decided to take the evidence to the public. And at the time, 
Allison Shaw is living in Orangeville. Her and her husband were in the process of moving to Vancouver, but she notices the newspaper with all the evidence that the police had um, written about, and she notices the handwriting on the notes, and she recognizes the handwriting. Oh no, is it her husband? She tells the police that she works with she worked with him before okay so it's not her husband it's not her husband. okay because my brain right there was like oh my gosh it's her husband <laughs> they're fleeing to vancouver not her husband okay good so the person that she worked with was david snow he was known for his unkept appearance and his vast knowledge of antiques the fact that like if you showed me one of my uh, writing sample from one of my coworkers. I would have no freaking clue. Like, this girl obviously pays attention to detail. Good for her. So remember that time I was flipping through your notebook and I was like, oh, that looks like my handwriting. Yeah. Oh wait, that is my handwriting. Yeah, it took me a second. No, I have very, very distinct handwriting because it is so horrible. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Clearly, well, handwriting's better than mine. Mine I, is bad, bad, not good. That is questionable. Okay, so. He was a loner, and he owned an antique shop, and he often met with people to acquire antiques at their farmhouses. She met him through her husband, who was selling antiques, and they had not seen him since last fall, which is the first time that the house hermit striked. Striked? Struck. Struck. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I don't know why I took this opportunity to correct your grammar. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't know if that was right, but who cares? But thankfully, they still had his fingerprints, and it was confirmed that the abductor and the house hermit had the same fingerprints, so it was the same person. So now they thought very strongly that it was David Snow, so they have a warrant for his arrest. Okay. Um, so they go into his bungalow house, right? He's not there, by the way. He is somewhere else and they can't find him and it suggests that he was living like a fugitive in his own house like in the attic there was just this mattress and like i guess some could say he was living like a hermit <laughs> like that's so that. so odd to just that's so scary too to find it's like so like creepy you know and they also found like a very unusual collection of porn because it wasn't just like porn it was it was categorized by body parts. Like, he would cut out body parts and then separate it all. Wow, I hate that. That is terrifying. I know. Doesn't that just send a shiver down your spine? I literally have goosebumps because that is so creepy and just not it. It's not, not great. It. And they found boxes of books about military equipment. That was the military equipment in the lists that they found. Oh. Yeah. That's a good <clears throat> way to, like, put it two and two together. And in a collection of photographs that he had, they found one of the Blackburn farm. So he had so the, the very least, yeah. So he at very least knew who they were, where they lived. So June 1992, a Canada-wide warrant had been issued for the abductor and is a suspect in the murder. The police go door to door, and the neighbors are so confused because they like strongly believe that it could not be him because he, he wouldn't hurt a fly. Oh, of course. It's always your neighbor that you're like, oh, they always let me borrow sugar. Yeah. Like, it is. Mm -hmm. 
So some police fly to Vancouver to interview some people who were acquaintances of David, who had recently moved there, and they interview the Shaws again, right? And why is everyone moving to Vancouver in the story? I think it just might be the Shaws, actually. Oh. Not entirely sure. So they asked them if David would likely leave the province, and they said that it's unlikely because he doesn't even have a driver's license, and that he was kind of afraid of driving. Like, he always needed to be driven. Ah. So, weird. Okay, so... We're going to switch over to Vancouver now. We're in Vancouver. June 29, 1992, a 26-year-old woman was working alone in a store that she manages in Vancouver. I don't know. I'm reading your notes. I'm so sorry. (laughs) And a man enters claiming to be shopping for some woman's clothing. And he's, like, looking around, and she could always tell when he was close because he smelled really bad. Ah. And he leaves without anything. And when she closes up, he returns... Once the store, like, immediately closes, he's like, oh, I found something. Like, he made up his mind. And the woman lets him back in. Those are the worst customers. Yeah. The ones that come right when you're closed and you're like, I need to make this business, but you're really annoying me. Mm-hmm. I had one of those the other day. She stayed for half an hour after closing. I really just, oh, and she didn't man. buy anything. And oh, I was so mad at her. Oh, man. So the woman lets him back into the store and he pulls out a gun. Oh, that's, mm-hmm. he's the worst. And at the cash register... And he told her to go to the back room and to take off all the clothes and begins to sexually assault her. (sighs) Then there's a noise at the front door, so he gets really startled and he goes and checks. And the woman sees this as her opportunity and she runs out the back door naked and handcuffed, screaming for her life. Good for her. I know. We love strong women. yes. So the police respond to the call immediately and they take description of what this woman's describing because she had a very good uh, visual, right? Yes. And they believe that it's, like, a totally isolated incident. So they didn't do a composite sketch or anything. Well, yeah, because also the other stuff's happening in Ontario. Yeah, exactly. Like, so it's not... across the whole country. <laughs> this is something completely different. So July 3rd, five days after the attack, another woman is working alone in a Photoshop when a customer enters with a gun, leads her out of the store, and leads her down the streets in vancouver in broad daylight on like a nice day in july like it's happening in front of everybody's eyes i hate that it's so so scary also i stand by retail workers not being working you it should be a law that you cannot work alone the store alone or open the store alone you You cannot be be alone ever like i do not think you should be alone. especially if you're getting paid like minimum wage minimum wage part-time hours like you should not have to do that you do not get paid enough to have to worry about your safety you should never worry about your safety i completely that is like something i'm so passionate about yeah anyways okay so in rush hour traffic they head towards north vancouver and she is led and like another eight kilometers towards the trans canada highway and it was clear that he was there before because there was a campsite set up beside this highway oh so he was he knew where he was going so by the time people figured out that she was missing it was too late because how obscure the route that they took to get to this campsite so he was able to hide the fact that she was at gunpoint while they were walking down these streets yes that's absolutely just insane and horrible so the police hand out photos of the woman and the worst part was the woman was sexually assaulted multiple times a day and the worst part is the campsite is like in front of everyone's eyes because it's beside the highway so like so many people drive by every day 
and it's just happening and nobody knows. So eight days after bringing her to the campsite, the captor heads back into the city. On July 11th, a 19-year-old woman working with her boss in a video renting store and it's mid-morning and the man enters with the gun and robs the store. He took the young female hostage with him and left the store, uh, led her at gunpoint to her car, which is a 1975 Volkswagen Beetle, and he makes her drive to the campsite. And the other woman is still there, still alive, tied to the tree, and had been living with this man for nine days. Oh, I can't. This is so horrible. I know, this is so awful. And together, they're forced back into the car, and they go somewhere else. Now, the police are looking for his car, for this car, because obviously her manager called the police. Yes. And on the back road, they see this car because they're searching secluded areas. Because, like, obviously... Yeah. And well, then again, he's doing this in broad daylight, so he could be on busy streets too. It's true. They don't know. On the back road, they see the car. I said that, I think. So they searched the immediate area and saw no one in the vehicle, but heard a scream from the bushes. So there's two officers that came to the scene. So then they're heading into the woods and they find the 19 year old uh, gagged and tied to a tree. But she's alive. She's alive. Yes. Then they good. hear a second scream. So one of the officers stays with the 19-year-old. The other one leaves to go towards the other scream. And they find the other woman tied to a tree. And she was fully clothed and had a, like, just completely blank expression on her face. Like, she was so, like, just traumatized. Like, and... so done. <sighs> like, so done. But she was also alive. Yeah, but she was That's alive. That's good. That's good. The backup came and they are taken to the hospital. And at the same time, they're looking for their suspect. And they find his tracks, and they follow it straight up the trail, but then it, like, fades away. Oh, they needed Cloud, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they really did. Now there's a massive manhunt at Mount Seymour. Seymour? Yeah, Seymour. Seymour? Seymour. Mm-hmm. Mount Seymour. They had helicopters and hundreds of officers looking for this man, and the media coverage was relentless. So the police track down the first campsite, and the forensic shows up. There were magazines and bottles of fluids, torn army bed sheets, in knots and boxes of other people's belongings they find a backpack of firearms in the volkswagen and one of the firearms had been flagged by the police in ontario looking for the house hermit so the police in vancouver learn that the man is most likely david snow so this they're his friends were like nah he's not gonna leave the province and this guy made it to vancouver yeah oh my goodness So 3.30 a.m. July 12th in the morning, David Snow emerges 15 kilometers from where he was last seen at a restaurant. And this woman is closing up for the night. She's getting ready to leave, turns around to lock the door, and comes face to face with David. Oh, that's such a nightmare. That is such a... So awful. He has a gun to her head, forces her back into the restaurant, triggering the alarm of the restaurant. And so the alarm company calls her, and she's forced to say everything's fine. But there was something in her voice... That seemed not fine. So the person who called her, the operator, tells the supervisor what's going on. Then alarm system operators. Hell yes. Then he drags her to the back of the restaurant and assaults her physically and sexually. She's lying on the ground and he grabs a wire and starts choking her with a bag over her head. No. But nearby RCMP officers arrive to the restaurant. They see the victim on the ground and David strangling her. And there's just no sound from her. And David runs 
but after a small chase, he's tackled to the ground. And Hell the victim yeah. lives. She's on, oh my god. I know, she's on the brink of death, but she's still alive. And he's facing, like, 15 charges in Vancouver now. These survivor stories are crazy, and I can't even imagine the trauma and the counseling they're going to need like, after. It's, it's yeah, re- it's really ridiculous, and I'm actually, like, terrified on the inside right now. Yes. <laughs> so while he awaits trial, the case is building against him. The first case that he faces is in B.C., for uh, unlawful confinement and sexual assault, and psychiatrists paint a picture of entranced sexual perversions that he had, right? Mm. And his behavior proved that he took pride in what he was doing. And in the same hearing, his brother takes the stand and tells the story about how his family first noticed that the behavior changed, how his behavior was changing, and they try to convince him to go see a therapist, but he never did. Uh, this the classic story mm-hmm. of if you just got your mental health help, this might be all different. July 23rd, 1993, David Snow is declared a dangerous offender and transported to Ontario. DNA... T- what? Well, I don't want him here. <laughs> well, he ha- he's got crimes to... He's got a price to pay. Yeah, but uh, don't, don't call him dangerous and then be like, yeah, let's give him to Ontario. Well, he, he needs to be tried here. I know. So DNA tests revealed that the blood on the tissue is David Snow's. So he had absolutely no remorse. <laughs> Sorry. What? I know you said David Snows, but it sounded like you said David's nose, <laughs> like he had a nosebleed, <laughs> and he just used that tissue and left it in the car. I mean, it could have been. Like, and it is confirmed to be David's nose. <laughs> I was like... Okay. I'm sorry. It's I, it's David Snows. Yeah, David Snows. <laughs> you think he got bullied for that ever? David Snows. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> David Snows. <laughs> Okay. Maybe I'm just a playground bully. <laughs> Got your nose. Uh, no, God, David's nose. That's David's <laughs> nose. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. To so, anybody whose last name is Snows. Snow. Snow. Yeah. He had no remorse, and on Friday, July 18, 1987, he is found... What? 87? That doesn't make any sense. Probably 97. Uh, yeah, it's definitely 97, because it can't go back in time. Mm-hmm. Okay, 1997, he is found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole for 25 years. And in February 2000, he appeals... He tries to appeal his dangerous status, but a BC court dismisses his appeal immediately. Yeah, no, man, no, you're you dangerous. are dangerous. And that is the story of the house hermit. And this episode is actually 35 minutes long, so pretty good still. Yeah, um, that is so depressing yeah uh that was actually that one really scared me yeah as somebody who works retail a lot in her life i that i'm so <laughs> passionate about retail workers not having to close or open by themselves because that's just it should never have to happen that way mm-hmm. and it's also just like these poor victims literally are at chosen at random like all the victims are chosen at random right mm-hmm. uh and it's just it I don't sucks. know about the Blackburns, though. I feel like he knew about them for a while. Yeah, but it doesn't mean he actually knew them. He was probably just stalking them. They're still chosen at random. I suppose. That's so scary. It's it's so sad. These people that... Not that anybody... I say this every time. Not that anybody does anything to deserve it, but they really didn't even know him. That's so, so scary. Oh, my gosh. Shout out to my last workplace where they, like, basically force you to have a buddy every time you walk to your car in the dark. I cannot stress enough how much that is a good thing. Such a and, good thing. And how if you work retail, like, they don't, unless you're, like, a super well-put-together company, 
not that the companies I work for are not. They are, but I, it's just inside a mall, so it's a lot harder to walk somebody to, like, where they need to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think universities on campus, when they have that system where they walk you mm-hmm. home, that's also very, very good. It's great. It's fantastic. It's and a great I wish service. people... I, I, the thing I hear over and over is that people wish or don't use it because they don't want to waste somebody's time. And I'm like, no, that is there for you to use. Yeah. It's for you to feel safe. If you feel even a, a tiny, tiny bit unsafe, you should be using the services that you're given and just keep yourself safe. You're not wasting anybody's time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're here so you feel safe. That's why they're put in place. So just use it. Just do it. Just do it. it your safety is never like, oh. A waste of time. It's a waste of time. Yeah. It's never, never a waste of time. never wasting somebody's time ever. Yeah. All the links can be found in the thing. Yes. Um, okay, awkward transition out of that. Uh, hey, what's new? <laughs> oh, that was the worst awkward transition. <laughs> hey, that, what's new? That was an awkward transition. I started watching Friends for the first time. Not good. It's underwhelming. Yeah, it's very underwhelming. I like How I Met Your Mother better. Oh, it's way better. Yeah. The Office is the best, though. I cannot get over the cringiness of the first episode. Once you get past first season, it's so good. You just gotta do it. The first season's only four episodes. You can do it. Oh my god. They're 20 minutes. I don't know. You can do it. I don't know. We'll see. I will force you to do it. <laughs> the Office is so fucking good. It's the funniest sitcom to exist. Well, I'm basically just trying to watch Friends before it's out of Netflix. I just need to, like, experience it, I think. No. No, you don't. It's not very good. It's fine. I used to love it, and then I watched sitcoms that were better, and I was like, just kidding. These are what sitcoms should be. I love that 70s show. That's when she was good. That's a good one. Yeah. I used to watch that when I was little, so, like, nostalgic. Yeah. Um, I want, I need to rewatch New Girl. Oh, I think I've only seen one season of that. Oh, you need to watch New Girl, girl. (laughs) (laughs) True American, best drinking game of all time. That's what we played at your party, right? Yes, it is. I, if anybody needs the actual rules, they can hit me up, (laughs) because nobody really knows the rules. Um, Except for Rachel. Yeah, apparently. Well, I kind of just made them up, but, <laughs> you know, it works, so. So nobody. <laughs> First rule, floor is lava. Floor is lava. Um, so, on brand, I have been addicted currently to playing the Love Island game on the phone. That you know, fun. like, Cody, yeah, Coe, and Noel Miller, they did it, and I was, I binge-watched their whole series of them doing it, and I was like, you know what, I want to do this. <laughs> and wow, have I ever been addicted to it. Uh, because on the past three days I've been on set for a short film that I'm working on for school because I'm in film hi everybody who doesn't know me which is not very many um yeah I feel like people listen to us because they know us yeah thanks guys yeah I appreciate your support please keep taking pity on us please Uh, spread the word I like it when random people message me like oh I do too I love your podcast it's really nice like I'll respond to you well, of course. We're, we're not... What? Are we so famous we don't have time to respond to fans? <laughs> no, like, my account, like, isn't even private, so... My account's not private either. Because I, like, Neither don't is my new account. do anything. But, yes, I've been working on a film set for the past three days, and it's a, like, a comedy slasher. Mm-hmm. So I, I got to keep... I had to draw, like, blood patterns on people, and I was like, wow, this is crime. That's fun. <laughs> and there was a... Uh, a... <clears throat> I guess you could say Canadian small celebrity, not a small, Canadian celebrity was yeah. on the set. I'm okay. not going to name drop because that's bad. Yep. But yeah, it was a lot of fun and I learned how to use fake blood. 
That's and fun. it was it was fake blood that was safe for the mouth, and it tasted like toothpaste. Oh, really? Yeah, it was crazy. Interesting. Yeah, this one guy had to put a shot of it into his mouth, and he was really scared, because I knew that it tasted like mint, because I tried it earlier in the day, because I'm weird. Um, I would try it, too. I made everybody on set try it after. But <laughs> he, he was so scared to put it in his mouth, because it's terrifying, it's really viscous, and super sticky, and just kind of creepy, and it looks like blood. But then he puts it in his mouth, he's like, ah, this tastes great! <laughs> <laughs> Let me just chug this. And so That's it wasn't funny. that bad. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't want to put a whole shot in my mouth, even though it tasted fine. It was very, very viscous. Weird. Okay. Um, so any lows this week? Oh, I didn't even, that wasn't my high of the week. that wasn't your high? Like, yes, it was. Oh, that was my high. I forgot what I said already. Um, (laughs) you were talking, (laughs) watching Friends. Yeah. That's your high? I mean. I think you should talk, no, you probably shouldn't say that. No, I'm not gonna say that. Um. Not at all. Yeah, no. Cannot jinx it. It's been a good reading week. It's been a really good reading week. It's been fun. I like not doing anything. I drove up to Lake Simcoe this week. Whoa, really? Yeah, just for fun. Um, my high was probably yesterday working on the film set, and then after, we all went to the bar after, and it was a really, really good time. My low... Oh, I don't know. Um, it's been a pretty good week. Yeah, right? It's been... I don't have have a low, because I'm pretty content. Yeah, I think probably being hungover today (laughs) is my low... Because I was very, because I slept not at all last night. For some reason, I keep waking up at like seven thirty-eight. Like seven thirty-eight or seven thirty-eight. Seven thirty-eight. Ah, so not seven thirty-eight. Not seven thirty-eight. Wow, we we sound insane right now. <laughs> um, well, it's a great start to the day. Honestly, I. I wish. I cannot get up before eleven, and I work tomorrow at nine, so oh. I'm gonna have to learn very quickly. Yeah. I saw Birds of Prey. Oh, did you actually? I'm so jealous. I want to see it. I actually liked it. Like, I want to see it very It was badly. good for a DC movie, is and what i Margot Robbie is just so hot. Like, I just did it <laughs> to support Margot Robbie. Yes. Because Margot Robbie needs all the support. Oh, Parasite won the Oscar. We I'm haven't not talked seen about it. that. You need to see that. I know. I'm going to see it tomorrow, I think. Um, It's great. I haven't seen it either. I'm lying to everybody right now. <laughs> good um, for you. But it's, never I, seen it. Okay, the reason I haven't seen it is because there's a lot of blood and I don't do blood except when i'm in Doing contact with it blood. wait did you see 1917 i refuse to watch war movies also oh it was so cool uh i don't do i don't do war movies i don't do blood even though for an essay last week i had to watch halloween <laughs> which was hell you remember when you had to of... watch pretty woman and it was actually pretty good yeah and then i didn't write my essay about it oh i changed it to do the right thing so like we the just... next day so we watched pretty woman for, for no, no reason. reason but it was a good movie yeah it was um and uh, oh my gosh, she was in Friends, Julia Roberts. I have no recollection of that. I was like, what? So weird. And also, you know who else was? Like, Brooke Shields. Oh yeah, I know Brooke Shields in Friends. That was so weird. Um, what was I gonna say? Uh, the other, uh, last week I had a midterm, and there was a bonus question, and the bonus question was, what film, uh, d- performed incredibly poorly at a test screening? And the answer is Pretty Woman. I knew that because we had watched it. I was doing research for my essay. Oh. And on that midterm, I had gotten one other question wrong. So because I got the bonus question, I got 100% on the midterm because we watched Pretty Woman that one time. Wow. So, so it did come in handy. It came full circle. I mean, couldn't you have answered any like any bad movie? Oh, no. It was multiple choice. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a multiple choice. I was like, you could midterm. say The Room. <laughs> well, The Room... What do you mean? The Room's fantastic. <laughs> you mean people probably loved watching that test screen? It was cheering. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. 
I did not hit her. I did not. <laughs> You're tearing me apart, Lisa. <laughs> Accent. I don't it's know. So weird. It's like I think he's Polish. It's very. What do weird. you think Noel Miller's ethnicity is? <laughs> Nobody knows that either. I think he's Japanese and black. I also think he's Japanese. I don't know what else he is, but because he made the film Suki, which is super Japanese, that's why I think he's Japanese. I think he's Jap. I think he mentioned at some point he was like some kind of Asian. Yeah, and Jasuki's such a Japanese film, so he has to be Japanese. Well, he doesn't have to be, but it's very likely that he's Japanese. Like he is, yes. Okay, we should not be predicting other people's races. That's crazy. So remember, if you've got Cloud 2, you're going to be on Cloud 9. Shout out Katy Perry. <laughs> Whoa, Hell yeah. That was really good. <laughs> Thank Hit you. Hit all the points. I really did. And if you're going to commit a crime, there's no way you're going to get away with it. Because his last name was Snow. Do you get it? Get it. Ah, okay. Peace and love. Bye.